Good morning. Today is the first day of Joseph. I found this amazing picture of an interpretation of Joseph. Very extravagant. He's very white. Not probably what Joseph looked like. He's got, yeah, it's like one of those gym parachutes where there's kids hiding underneath and balls are rolling around, but he's, he's got his multicolored coat. We'll talk about the multicolored coat today. We'll find out if anybody knows anything about that and what it was. And so I just like that picture. So yeah, today is out of one pit into another. This is the start of Joseph's life. Um, it's, a rough, it's a rough start. It's a rough start. Um, to kind of catch up, we, uh, we have been following through Genesis. We got to Jacob. We kind of finished out. It's not the finish of Jacob's story, but we got to the end of Jacob being the main character. And um, there is one chapter that I, that I skipped, and we can briefly discuss it because it's a doozy, but it'll be quick that way. Um, but just to, to remind you, uh, these are the sons and the daughter of Jacob and who their mother is. So if you're trying to keep track on that, because we're going to talk about his brothers over the next couple of weeks, it's not super important, but just to understand that most of Jacob's kids were through Leah. If you remember our Mother's Day uh, sermon about Leah, um, it was a rough go there too. All of Genesis just continues to show us that it's a rough go, but God is God's plan is working out and God is partnered with, with all these people, regardless of their decisions that they're making. Um, and it's always reassuring. And just the faithfulness of generation to generation, what Yahweh's doing in the beginning. So yeah, so there you go. You got uh, Reuben is the oldest. Keep that in mind as we go through the story. Um, Simeon also. We're going to talk about Simeon and Levi here for a little bit because they've got their own dysfunctions to talk about. Um, but there you go. And uh, he did have at least one daughter. He may have had more daughters. Dinah is the only daughter that we, we always hear about the 12 sons of Israel. But he did have Dinah. Um, so Genesis 36 is the chapter that we kind of skipped through. I want to briefly tell you what happens in Genesis 36. They have, Jacob is back. He's, he's made amends with Esau. We have that whole homecoming. Jacob is established back in the land of Canaan. And there are some Canaanites there, of course, in the land of Canaan. And one of these Canaanite kings has a son who absolutely falls in love or lust or whatever you want to call it with Dinah, the daughter of Jacob. And he just takes her. And just what it means. He takes her and there is some debauchery. And But in the act of this, he does decide, like, this is who I really want for my wife, which is in its own dysfunction there. And this Canaanite king's son really likes Dana and says, Dad, I need to marry Dana. You need to get Dinah, Dana, sorry, Dinah, for me. And um, so he goes, I think the guy's name is Shechem. He goes to talk to Jacob. So Shechem and Jacob are talking. Jacob is pretty upset by the way this has all gone down. Um, they try to find some way to come to an agreement. The king is like, my son does really love her, and my son would really like to spend the rest of her life. And Jacob's like, you just raped my daughter, and where do we go from there? And so Jacob's sons 
finally come. They're all working the flocks. Remember, they're all shepherds at this point. The sons come back in. The sons are like, we heard what happened. It's kind of spread all around. This is really embarrassing and bad for our sister, and we're very upset with what this man did. So Simeon and Levi uh, talk with Shechem, and, you know, we can't, we can't have you marrying our daughter or marrying our sister if you're uncircumcised because that's one of the things, this is how it works with our family. And so the king is like, oh, well, my son really loves her. All of my men, we will all be circumcised. And Simeon and Levi are like, okay, cool. And so they go, and they proceed with the great mass snipping. And when that is done, you've got all these men laying around in the city, incapacitated due to the snipping. And Simeon and Levi are like, All right, let's enact our plan. And they go and they just slaughter every man in that city while he's all down waiting for his to heal. And so they go in, they slaughter all the men, they take everything out of the city, everything from those men. They come back and Jacob is like, what have you done? Why did you do this? And it's like, Jacob still can't get a break. And Jacob's like, listen, we're we're in Canaan. There's lots of Canaanites all over the place. We just got here and this is what you do. And this is, you know, the story is going to spread. It's an entertaining story. I mean, there's probably people chuckling about this back then. And so this brings that upon Jacob. And so that's, then that kind of, that part of the scroll of Genesis closes. And we open up to what is considered the fourth part of the scroll, which is Genesis 37. So we've already witnessed a little bit of the dysfunction in Jacob's kids. And so here we go. Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojournings in the land of Canaan. And these are the generations of Jacob. And so that is the the preface for the beginning of the scroll. We're going to talk about Jacob's kids from here on out till we exit Genesis. And uh, this will get us up into Egypt eventually here. And Joseph, being 17 years old, was pasturing the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Bilah and Zilpah. So we can go back. We can go back to, uh, that would be Dan and Naphtali, and God, Gad, and Asher. So he's out with them. So those were the, those were the two uh, maidservants of his wives that he had kids with. And Joseph brought a bad report of them back to their father. Okay, so what do we notice about Jacob or Joseph right away? Joseph is a tattletale. How many of you like tattletale brothers and sisters growing up? Yeah. So the first thing we know about Joseph is he's a little bit of a brat with the tattletale. And now Israel, this doesn't help. Israel is Jacob. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his sons because he was the son of his old age. That is the same language that they use with Abraham and Isaac. Remember Isaac had Ishmael, but he loved Isaac because Isaac was the son of his old age. So that's that special son. And he made him a robe of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all of his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. So he's a tattletale and he's dad's favorite. Not a good way to start. Robe of many somethings. When you dig into it, uh, most scholars cannot figure out exactly what it is a robe of. They really don't know if it's a robe of many colors. Some translations translate it as the robe with extremely long sleeves. And others say that it's just richly ornamented. So whether that means jewelry all on it, maybe it was ornamented with jewelry and the jewelry was different colors. 
and therefore it was ornamented and many colors and had long sleeves. We don't know what it looks like. So this idea of him just like Sunday school, Jacob's just wearing this rainbow robe. Probably it wasn't arranged like a rainbow robe anyway, but we, we don't have a clue. And, and scholars have debated this for years and years and years, thousands of years. We don't really know. But it, it was a pretty cool robe. I think, I think the significance of the robe is this. Normally when you give the robe, it's like you give the robe and you give the signet. It means you're the one. You're the one that the, everything is going to, the inheritance is going to flow through. And I think that in Jacob's mind, Jacob was, hey, this is the wife that I love. This is the wife that I originally went and worked for. This, is, this was my plan. And this is my firstborn with my plan. And I think that's what he's probably thinking. And you had 10 other men that were not happy with that line of thought. Um, and so you get into this scenario that we're in now. Now, Joseph is going to make this worse. Now, Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. His brothers said to him, are you indeed to reign over us? Are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. So we're in, we're in this far now, and we've heard that like they hated him. Then they hated him more. Now they hate him even more. Joseph has to be catching on to this. He's at least a teenager. He's not dumb. We find out that he's extremely smart. Um, so it says, after this dream, they hated him even more. Oh, I got, I'm going to have another dream. I'm going to tell you another thing so you can hate me more. And then he dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers and said, Behold, I have dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun, the moon, and the eleven stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? So even Jacob's a little bit upset with this one. And his brothers were jealous of him. But his father kept the saying in mind. So dad knew something was up with these dreams. Dad knew there was something there. Um, we won't get too much into the imagery, but you have to understand that when they start getting into sun and moon and stars, uh, that is language that was also reserved for the spiritual beings of the day and how they viewed um, that realm. And so Joseph is now, first you have an earthly dream. It doesn't get any more earthly than the grains growing from the earth. And then you get into one that even has spiritual connotations where you could say that Joseph is even up there with the gods, lower G. And so that really sets him off. So now his brothers went to pasture with their father's flock near Shechem, which is a pretty empty city now because they killed all those guys after they were recovering. And Israel said to Joseph, are not your brothers pasturing the flock out at Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. So I don't know if dad just needs him out there to spy on him. Um, I think that's kind of a connotation. I kind of, I'm guessing the brothers thought that Joseph was a spy for dad. This will actually come into play later when Joseph is teaching them a lesson in Egypt. Um, come, I will send you to them. And he said, here I am. Here I, here I am. So that, that phrase has already been used in Genesis multiple times on how people are answering God and their father. Here I am. Send me. And that gets repeated all through the Bible. So it's one of those things that, that's there. And so he said to him, go now, see if it is well with your brothers and with the flock and bring me word. So he sent him from the valley of Hebron and he came to Shechem and a man found him 
wandering in the fields. And a man asked him, what are you seeking? I am seeking my brothers, he said. Tell me, please, where they are pasturing the flock. And the man said, they have gone away, for I heard them say, let us go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them at Dothan. So they're not at Shechem where they're supposed to be. They went somewhere else. Whether that was a good choice, I don't know. But that's not what Jacob was expecting. And so when he sent Joseph, now Joseph might have something to tattle again. They saw him from afar, and before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. And they said to one another, here comes this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him, and we will see what will become of his dreams. But when Reuben heard it, he rescued him out of the hands, out of their hands, saying, let us not take his life. And Reuben said to them, shed no blood, throw him into this pit here in the wilderness, but do not lay a hand on him, that he might rescue him out of their hand to restore him to his father. So Reuben wasn't in on this. At least at this point, Reuben is the oldest, um, right? Is it Reuben or Simeon? That was Reuben. Reuben's the oldest. And so he evidently feels responsible. That's good to see. So he just wants to put him in the pit. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the robe of many colors that he wore, and they took him and threw him into a pit. The pit was empty. There was no water in it. Then they sat down to eat, and looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels bearing gum, balm, and myrrh on the way to carry it down to Egypt. Then Judah said to his brothers, what profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. And his brothers listened to him. Then Midianite traders passed by. And they drew Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. They took Joseph to Egypt. All right, so we're going to pause here. Um, Ishmaelites would be, Ishmael is Isaac's brother. Isaac would be Joseph's great-grandfather. So they're like third cousins or whatever. So their cousins are coming through trading, their family. Um, So at least there's that connection. It doesn't sound like they were just trading him to complete strangers. Give his brothers a little bit of credit, I guess. And Joseph goes to Egypt. And when Reuben returned to the pit and saw that Joseph was not in the pit, he tore his clothes and returned to his brothers and said, The boy is gone, and I, where shall I go? Then they took Joseph's robe and slaughtered a goat and dipped the robe in the blood. And they sent the robe of many colors and brought it to their father and said, This we have found. Please identify whether it is your son's robe or not. And he identified it and said, It is my son's robe. A fierce animal has devoured him. Joseph is without doubt torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his garments and put sackcloth on his loins and mourned for his son for many days. All his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted and said, No, I shall go down to Sheol to my son mourning. Thus his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites had sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard. So the bloody robe brought back. It was a robe of deception. Where was the last time we saw a robe of deception? You guys remember? It was Jacob. Jacob did the whole furry robe of deception when he tried to steal the blessing from his father. So it's interesting that here we get... Two different robes of deception. Jacob kind of gets a little taste. And I, I feel bad for Jacob. But there you go. So those robes, Jacob and his robes. Genesis 38 goes into a different story. Genesis 38 tells us a very dysfunctional story about Judah. We won't spend a lot of time on it because it's an entire chapter. Judah messes up. 
Part of Judah's mess up is he gets with Canaanite women, which was something they were not supposed to do. And so Judah goes and he finds himself a Canaanite woman. It did not work out well. He ends up in sexual immorality and finishes the story. And then the Bible pops us right back to Joseph. So like time passes during Genesis 38. Genesis 39. Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought, for, bought him from the Israelites who had brought him down there. Captain of the guard, we are to assume he was in charge of the Pharaoh's security. Some people think that he might have actually been an army general. I'm not entirely sure. It goes back and forth. And the Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him, and he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had had. From the time that he had made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had, in house and field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge, and because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. Joseph made it perfect for this dude, and... It sounds like his, his belongings grew. Everything grew. He's right next to Pharaoh. So you know that Pharaoh's checking this out. Pharaoh's thinking, hey, Potiphar, Potiphar's got something good going on. And so I'm sure at this point, Pharaoh is aware of Joseph. Now, Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. And after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, behold, Because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house, and he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you, because you are his wife. How can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And she spoke to Joseph day after day. He would not listen to her to lie beside her or to be with her. So she is not going to relent over and over and over, day after day after day. This is good. This is the first time we've seen someone in his family actually turn down the sexual advances and opportunities that were, or not seize them. And so we can see something special with Joseph compared to the rest of his family. And this is a testament to his character. He doesn't want to upset his master and he doesn't want to upset God. But one day, when he went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the house were in the house, she caught him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. And as soon as she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and fled out of the house, she called to the men of her household and said to them, See, he has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. He came in to me to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. And as soon as he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried out, he left his garments beside me and fled and got out of the house. And she laid up his garment by her until his, ma- until his master came home. And she told him the same story, saying, The Hebrew servant, whom you have brought among us, came in to me to laugh at me. But as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried, he left his garment beside me and fled out of the house. So she is, she is accusing Joseph of rape. She snagged his clothes as he went, so she has clothes as a proof. And um, she's just playing that card and accusing him of that. And notice that all of a sudden, him being a Hebrew is a problem to her. So it's this Hebrew, it's this stranger, it's, she's, it's, it's a sensational thing. This alien has come in and, and done this to us. 
And as soon as his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, this is the way your servant treated me, his anger was kindled. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him in whatever he did. The Lord made it succeed. Joseph is the type of worker you want to hire. He seems to, wherever he's at, he's always working it really good. And um, it's just good to see that. Like this idea that he's not giving up and he just keeps going on. And that's, that's one of the lessons we're supposed to take. Sometime after this, the cupbearer of the king of Egypt and his baker committed an offense against their lord, the king of Egypt. The pharaoh was angry with two officers, with his two officers, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and he put them in the custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with them, and he attended them, and they continued for some time in custody. This is a, the cupbearer. We don't know exactly what the cupbearer was. Some people think it was the food taster to make sure that Pharaoh wasn't poisoned. Other people believe that it's, it's the guy that was in charge of throwing all the parties for Pharaoh. So when Pharaoh would have delegates from a different country or if Pharaoh was recognizing a person in his government, he was the party director, the guy that put everything up. Um, they're not entirely sure. I enjoy the imagery of the cupbearer and the baker. It's the wine and the bread. So there's that kind of imagery still there. That's showed up multiple times in Genesis so far. One night, they both dreamed. The cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were confined in the prison, each his own dream, and each dream with its own interpretation. And when Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they were troubled. So he asked Pharaoh's officers, who were with him in custody in his master's house, why are your faces downcast today? And they said to them, we have had dreams, and there was no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? Please tell them to me. So the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph and said to him, in my dream, there was a vine before me. And on the vine, there were three branches. As soon as it budded, its blossoms shot forth and the clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. Then Joseph said to him, this is its interpretation. The three branches are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office, and you shall place Pharaoh's cup in his hand as formerly when you were, when you were his cupbearer. Only remember, only remember me when it is well with you, and please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh, and so get me out of this house. For I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews, and here also I have done nothing, and they should put, put me into the pit." This makes me think that there's a chance, if it's just mentioned me to Pharaoh, there's a chance that maybe Pharaoh did know Joseph at this point. And when the chief baker saw that the interpretation was favorable, he said to Joseph, I also had a dream. There were three cake baskets on my head, and in the uppermost basket, there were all sorts of baked food for Pharaoh. But the birds were eating it out of the basket of my head. And Joseph answered and said, this is its interpretation. The three baskets are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head from you and hang you on a tree. And the birds will eat the flesh from you. Not a great interpretation. He probably thought this was a good time to get on the interpretation line. 
And uh, like the last one, this, this one he did not like. And on the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, he made a feast for all his servants and lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker among his servants. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position, and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. And, but he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. It's another disappointment for Joseph here at the end. And that's about as far as we're going to get today. So, Joseph, he's faithful. He definitely had some issues as a kid. He kind of pressed, pressed his luck with his brothers. He was a tattletale. But as we see as an adult, so far he's passing every test. And he's faithful regardless. He's faithful in those sexual advances. He's faithful in all of his duties. Um, it's been rough. He didn't have to have that attitude. Um, but that's just, we're kind of seeing who he is. And, be, and through him, this is one of those scenarios that as it's setting things up, um, we get to see this faithful, suffering servant who's going to deliver the people of the world at that time because the famines are coming. And the famines are going to affect everybody in that region. And so Joseph is getting set up here um, as that type, as a type of Christ. All the suffering, a lot of the, the three days things thrown in there. Um, it's kind of where they're gearing you. And so we're going to see that. We're going to see the, the continuation of the suffering servant. And as he comes into his own, what that looks like. And we'll cover that next week. But the, the, early, star, the early story of Joseph is a little more intense than what we get in our Sunday school story. And... Um, his family is more intense than we really learned. I mean, those, those two chapters of Genesis that I summarized, they never show up in the, in the Sunday school stories. And um, I think we kind of, we get this idea again, and this is what it comes back to again. We get this idea again that, these, that the, the forefathers were these perfect, amazing people and super faithful and God worked miraculous. We don't see all the things that, that God had to play catch up on with them and God had to forgive and God worked through, even though you know it's not justice in the eyes of Yahweh. Um, and it's just, it's, it's reassuring again. And so I'm going to pray and then we'll, we'll end with the benediction. So Lord, we just thank you. We just ask that you'd be with us throughout the week. Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you that in all things you have always remained faithful and Lord, we are imperfect people. Even with Holy Spirit residing inside of us, we still make mistakes. We still fly off the handle at times, whether it be anger or lust or, or whatever trappings that we find ourselves dealing with. But Lord, we just thank you for that helper now that we have inside us that, that these people did not, did not have in the, back in the day. And Lord, we just ask that you would help us to grow with you in that. Um, and Lord, as we, as we go from pit to pit, Lord, as we go from test to test, um, just, just help us to stay strong. Help us to get what you're trying to give to us as you use those situations for our good. And again, Lord, just, just help us to know our role in your story. Lord, you have something for all of us, regardless of, of who we are and regardless of our past. Um, we can always live in that, that age where you give us a new name, Lord. 
and you just, you send us forth. And so, Lord, we just again thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for taking care of our sins. Lord, we love you. Holy Spirit, just be with us throughout the week. Help us as we go through. Jesus, we pray all these things in your name, Lord. Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.